Afternoon, everyone. Thank you all very much for coming. It's great, great to be here. Um, before I get started, I want to ask a couple of questions from the crowd. Raise your hand if this is your first Lean Startup Conference. Quite a bit of you. And raise your hand if any of you have ever heard or know anything about the food on the table, the company that I started. None of you. That's great. Then I need to give you a little background on this. But uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, today about my experiences, not only with Lean Startup, but going through the transition of starting a Lean Startup five and a half years ago, building a company from scratch using all of these methodologies, and then going through the process of having a company acquired, and then implement a lot of these methodologies within a much larger corporation, uh, which me and my team have been working very hard over the last year uh, to go build. Um, so, as a, a bit of background, uh, five and a half years ago, I started a company called uh, Food on the Table. And Food on the Table is basically an app, it's designed as a mobile app, that helps uh, a family, an average family, solve the problem of what they're going to make for dinner based on what they like to eat and what's on sale at their favorite grocery store. So we combine the information of what's on sale in the store, um, with your favorite recipes, say you like to eat salmon, salmon is on sale at the corner of Whole Foods where you like to buy, then we provide your recipes that match those two things, build a digital grocery list, and send you shopping. Now, one of the things that uh, we did, in, um, like I said, a year and a half ago, we sold our company to a company <coughs> called Scripps Networks Interactive. Most people don't know who Scripps Networks Interactive is, but uh, we are uh, the company behind Food Network and Home and Garden TV and other that great stuff. So, as you can imagine, if you start a company from scratch and in the food category, and eventually you have an opportunity for to sell that company and be acquired by the Food Network or the company behind the Food Network, that was a pretty big moment. Myself and the rest of the team were very excited about that. It was an awesome, awesome experience and so on. And I'll tell you a little bit about the journey behind that, uh, which is, has been very interesting and very rewarding um, in many ways. But one of the places to start, and this slide doesn't look that good here, but for me being here today, it's a, it's a really uh, phenomenal experience. And, and the reason is, this slide you see here is part of the presentation that I did at the inaugural Lean Startup Conference uh, a few years ago. Um, when I started Food on the Table, uh, one of the concepts that we worked on, that actually Eric featured, featured it on the book, is the idea of concierge MVP. So how many of you are familiar with the idea of concierge MVP? So the case study you read on, on Eric's book is this case study you see here, is the one that we did at, at Food on the Table. So it was an incredible experience in those very early days of how Link Startup was getting started and so on. I was working on this process in parallel as a way that Eric was starting to publish a blog and everything else. And then to have an opportunity to go and pitch that here and kind of tell the story of the company was great. Obviously, what you see here today is a lot of the culmination of that journey and that process on it. So it's kind of fun to be able to tell kind of the success of the story that we, uh, we built in the company uh, since back then. So it, it's a lot of fun. Now, the, the not going forward, there we go. The challenge that we had, um, and like I said, when the moment that we got acquired, uh, 
which is a great moment. We go through the whole process of selling the company and blah, blah, blah. And we show up for the first time uh, to visit um, the division that we work for now in New York. And as you can imagine, spirits are very high. Spirits were very high in our team because we will have an opportunity of taking our platform and everything we have built to a much larger audience. And spirits were very high, especially because the moment we arrived, and started talking not only to the senior people that we had talked about the company before, but to the operational teams inside the company. There was a lot of excitement, not only on what we had built, but the methods that we have followed in building it. So the first day we arrived at Scripps, we have an audience that is very, very receptive to the idea of working around being startup. This is an audience that have been kind of looking for ways of learning about this and reading a book and looking for examples and experiences and so on. So they saw us as this great, great opportunity for helping them accelerate a lot of the thinking behind that. So once again, we're happy, we sell the company, spirits are high, we walk in, we get this great reception, and it's fantastic. And the challenge that we're given is like, we need to turn what was the food on the table app into the food.com app. Food.com is one of the great properties that we own at Scripps in the food category. And the objective was to turn our product into that. So under that environment, a really, really high spirits of working iteratively and build experiments and do all those wonderful, wonderful things that we were gonna do. The first thing that we're giving is a laundry list of features that we needed to implement exactly in the way that the company wanted. <laughs> now, I don't mean to be critical of that. There's a reason why those were there. And you know, there's a way that the company was working and, and the way that we were thinking. So it's easy for us to be flippant and say, oh, they don't know what they're doing and so on. That, that wasn't the case at all. But part of the story you're gonna hear me tell today is this wave, right? When there are moments that everything's going perfectly and everything's going the way they want and at other moments things kind of go the wrong way. And as you can imagine, uh, we sit in Austin, Texas while uh, most of the team uh, sits in New York. Then we're sitting in Austin and we read this laundry list of things that we need to implement and the spirits go down. We feel like, whoa, hey, we sold the company, but did we make a mistake? Are we gonna be able to work in the way that we like to work? Are we gonna be able to execute the things that we wanna do? And more importantly, for our team that had so passionately built every single feature through this process that goes into the product itself, are we gonna have an opportunity? You know, is this all gonna go to waste? Uh, doing that way. So what we started doing, just like building any team and going out there and so on, built on that foundation that we had heard already in the company, that there was a desire to work this way, that there was a desire to you know, kind of do things in the way that, that we were doing them, and kind of weave our way in and try to understand what is driving some of the thinking behind the company, and start trying to force to do something. Can we understand some of those things and, and get some of the knowledge uh, that is important out of there? And some of the fundamental things that we learned there, and this is the driving principle of a lot of the thinking, how many of you have worked on a waterfall type development environment today? And this is one of the things that are difficult to change, is that I, I got this quote from talking to, to some of the people, which is basically, if I only have one shot at getting a feature implemented this year, I will fight to make it happen. So when you have releases that are happening once every six months, or once a year, or whatever degree of frequency, that is short degree of, degree of frequency, what you have is this very interesting dynamic that I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you have worked with, which is I have a group of product managers, people on the business side of the equation that are here that desire to have certain things featured in our consumer-facing product. 
But since you have this cycle that takes so long to get things out there, this process of deciding what goes here turns into these major battles and wars and meetings and prioritization exercises and these long discussions of what way to be done and so on, which it's a vicious cycle because what happens then is every manager that is sitting here, whatever part of the organization they're in, what they start thinking is, well, if I don't win this battle and I don't get it in that release, I'm gonna have to wait another six months, another three months, another year for you to get it in, which in turn makes them wanna fight harder for that, which in turn turns the whole process into something a little more complicated, more, I wouldn't call the word vicious, certainly uh, the company I work for is not vicious, uh, but it's a process that it has a lot of uh, bad feelings around it. And what we encountered then, as we started to talk to people about, well, hold on, can we test these ideas? You're giving me a laundry list, can we test some of these ideas live? There was a significant gap in understanding what testing these ideas were. Because if I only get my ideas implemented once in a blue moon, and I had to fight very hard for them, this idea that we're be releasing versions of the app every week and testing all the things with a high degree of frequency, something that is foreign to me, there's a gap on understanding there. And the process that we did, I think one of the most successful things that we did in this process, was kind of demonstrate to the organization that we can test ideas, that we can move fast, that we can implement things in a way that you have a shot of getting your idea tested. In that shot of getting your idea tested, it probably might not win based on what the maybe experiment would be, but we do not have to engage in this process of being either dictatorial or business card heavy, deciding what a feature gets implemented, or going for a process that is very top heavy, instead of getting, giving things an opportunity using the next start process for things to get out there, be tested and go live. So one of the primary examples uh, where we saw this happening um, was in one particular feature. And you know, there were many of them, but there was one particular feature. One of the features we had implemented when we were in an independent company is that when you create a meal plan and food on the table, we had tested our way into this. We found that if we gave the consumer an option for putting a date next to the recipe that they had selected for their meal plan that week, that would be something of value to them, because I'm gonna make that one on Tuesday, all right? But when we arrived in this environment, there was a lot of discussions like, is that feature well implemented? Does it look good? Is this the ultimate experience? Is it actually developed at the standards of what Strip does? So in the initial pass, there was this desire to say, we need to kill that feature. We do not want to see the calendar there. We should re simply replace it with something great looking and beautiful, like an image of the recipe itself, okay? Perfect A-B test. If you have learned anything today or learned anything about the, um, the process that we're trying to follow here, it's simple, you can do a 50-50 on it, the complication behind the code is practically minimal, the data can be really clean, and it can be really good. So can we do this? Can we test this? So one of the things that we brought over uh, with the acquisition of, with the company was all of the infrastructure that we have built over a period of four years on cohort analysis and tracking you know, the cohorts and behavior and having the uh, dashboards and mechanisms for testing specifically this type of idea. So with the app came all of that, the idea of being able to do an A-B test within an environment where that infrastructure has not been built yet, had not been set yet, was a phenomenal opportunity for us to demonstrate, not only can we do this, but the code required to put this test out there was executed in only a few hours. It gets to go live in the next release in a very simple way. 
This is no big fuss, nothing really complicated behind it. And once the software, I mean, once the code is live and once we have the A-B test running, then we can wait, gather data, and now shift the discussion, which is one of the most important things that uh, we have been trying to do, from an opinion or whether I'd like to feature in the way that is implemented and so on, to data on the, what are the results telling us in terms of how this behaves. Now, in the history of our company before uh, the acquisition, we made a key, key discovery, which I encourage you, most of you to look when you're building consumer-facing experiences, app or not, which is one of the fundamental metrics that I always try to drive for the business was long-term retention. What happens to a cohort of consumers that arrives today, and are they, me, are they with me a month from now, three months from now, six months from now, and so on. And I did tons of analysis, I said, does it work, all everything that we did in the company. I, we realized, lots of data, that there was no predictor of long-term retention better than the percentage of the users that we added today as a cohort that came back to us within the first 24 hours or the first week. We just saw that, we discovered that. If you, if you downloaded our app and started using it, and you came back within 24 hours of the first seven days, the probability that you were gonna be with us three months from now or six months from now was always significantly higher, right? And I can go into a long conversation where we know that and what's the behavior behind that, but that was the fundamental metric, right? So what we do in most of the experiments that we run is test the impact of any one particular feature against that. What is it doing to day one retention? What is it doing to week one retention? If it works for that, probability is pretty, pretty high that it's gonna work with us in the long term. So what we did with this particular feature, like I said, no fuss, no muss, put it out there, put the feature out, make it very simple, demonstrate that it's only a couple of hours of code, get it live, and after a while, we let it run for you know, a few days or whatever, uh, might be necessary, and then oops, and, we, uh, and we get our, our data back on it. So like I said, we're measuring against day one retention, Control group is the one that had the calendar in the original version that we had it. Experiment one in this case is the image that I showed you uh, for the recipe a second ago. And after running this, you know, close to 25,000 users being added in, into the cohort, it's clear that the experiment performed worse than the baseline. Very simple, it changes only like a 4% change in drop in, uh, in retention uh, for us. This is not complicated in any way. It's very easy to put this table in front of anyone and they will immediately understand what we're talking about as long as you understand the correlation between day one retention and long-term retention and we have some data that we share to talk about it, then you have the foundation for change. You need the infrastructure, you need the team, you need to have the mechanisms for the data, you need to have the ability to release the, data, the code in a quick and simple way and turn the conversation from emotion into data. And that is a hard thing. One last thing, and I mentioned the, the team uh, uh, just now, one of the key things that made it work here that always make it work for us as an independent company and it works here now, is this idea that once you have these tools in place, I always push for empowering the frontline managers in the organization to be the ones to execute on this. So this Chris recruited this wonderful team of people that include a developer that slash product manager that came from food on the table, UX designer, designer, people from the sales side, um, people from the marketing side. So you know, this group of people are constantly working together 
in deciding what the next experiment is going to be, doing the long list of things, the experimentation, driving the data, having the discussion, once again, moving the organization from having senior people fighting over what's going to go on a feature, keeping it simple, communicating it simple, and this being the result. The thinking then changed, then, you know, that while before it was this idea that I will fight very hard to get my feature out there, no matter what happens, the thinking has evolved in a fairly significant way when it comes to the app, where now people talk about it, or we basically what we say is we will entertain any and all feature ideas, right? Anything that you say that is a good idea is something that we will entertain it. With the, obviously the, con the, uh, the constraint that it has to be tested, right? So anyone can come in, anyone can have an opinion on the product, we have, certainly can have a smart conversation on whether we should go or not, but the results of it, or whether it stays or not, is a conversation that should be tested uh, uh, for, for it to go live. The results of all of this is that we worked um, on, on this process for a period of about six months. Uh, and in those six months, what we did is that before rebranding the Food on the Table app into the food.com app, we did, I think it was eight or nine releases that contain, I'm, I'm guessing around, but it's 25, 30 different experiments. Going back to that laundry list of things that I told you in the beginning. And those experiments were all tested still under the food on the table name. And the day then that we flipped over in July to call it food.com, and there were some other more cosmetic changes to the app in terms of colors, logos, and everything else, and I switched over. Contrary to a lot of these big waterfall releases, we didn't have any surprises in terms of the performance of the product. In other words, the ratings that we were getting at the App Store, the day one retention, the week one retention, everything that happened there, the day that we flipped over, basically stayed the same. And since then, so one of the key things that we look in terms of the engagement and performance of the product, we have remained a four and a half star app within the App Store as we were before. <coughs> but the great benefit, the reason why we were so excited from this acquisition from the beginning, that we went from the audience that we had as a startup to the an audience that is based on tens of millions of unique visitors a month that gives us access to a much bigger audience, which can build into something that is really big. And as an entrepreneur, there's nothing better for you to be able to not only fulfill the dream of seeing your product, the great quality, great engagement, all these fantastic things that you want to see on it, well-reviewed in the App Store, all these wonderful things, but at the same time for you to be able to put it in a very large audience where you see that you're having impact on the world now. And that's our little story. I will open up for questions. If any. <laughs> Anyone? How did the stakeholders respond to the initial foray into testing? Um, uh, how did the stakeholders uh, uh, react to the initial testing you know, uh, process that we did? You know, in any